So let's pray together and then let's get into this word. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together. And I pray that you open up your word. I pray that you'll help each of us to understand that we're here for a reason, that this is no accident, that uh, those that tune in now or later uh, will realize that you have a word for them. You have a message for them. You have something you want to tell them. And I pray that we're willing to receive what you have to say. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So I'm going to go back up and get us in context here. And uh, I think I'm going to read verses 1 through 17. And we will be covering right around verses 9 through 17 tonight. <laughs> Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's the intro. Verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And again, I'm going to mention last week, he says Jesus Christ a lot. Yeah, there, are, there are people that are afraid to say the name of Jesus. And there are people that use Jesus' name as a cuss word. When Jesus is your Savior and your Lord and you realize he's God, you want to say his name, the most powerful name in the universe. Verse 10. Now we start with the problems. He complimented them. He wished grace on them. This is why I call them God's dysfunctional people. I wonder how many of us can identify with them. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you, except Crispus and Gaius, so that none of so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. Ah, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Right? So let's back up. Um he stated, before we jumped into this controversy, uh, he affirmed that they're not lacking in any gifts. And he says, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the personal return of Jesus. Now, admittedly, after 2,000 years, if you're just thinking in the natural, it gets increasingly difficult to believe that Jesus is going to come back. But if you consider 2,000 years as compared to an earth that by scientific reckoning, has been here for 4.5 billion years, that's nothing. That's absolutely nothing. Our reckoning of time is not God's reckoning of time. And we saw that when we were in uh, the, the letters to Peter and Second Peter. He says to the Lord, a day is like a thousand years gone by. If to the Lord a day is like a thousand years gone by, then we've, got, we've had two days. Jesus rose on the third day, so we're about ready to have Jesus come back, right? Amen. All right. The question is, do you believe that Jesus is coming back? Is there a sense of expectation? Do you have an imminent sense of his return? Uh, we had a young man that used to go to this church. He's not so young anymore. He's got his own kids and all this other stuff, has his own business. But um, he, uh, his, his grandmother was a very, very godly woman. And she got up into her 90s. And she did not believe she was going to die before Jesus came back. Now, she did. And we could say, well, she was wrong, but I think that's the way you need to live, right? We need to live like, you know what? 
I'm not going to die. I'm just waiting for Jesus to come back. And when Jesus comes back, I'm going to meet him in the air. Can you live that way? Hey, seriously, I want that to be the case. I don't want to die. Right? I just want to be translated into the presence of the Lord. Now, here's the beauty. And there's a quote that I, uh, I got from Dallas Willard years ago that I quote at funerals all the time where he said that eternal life means that there is a constant life that is ongoing even after you die. He said, you may die and not realize you're dead for a while because life that is eternal goes on. So there is a continuity to it. There's not, oh, I'm dead, right? I'm in the ground I'm and, you know, no, there's a continuity of life. And, you know, of course, you've heard testimonies, as have I, of people with near-death experiences. Um, and that's fine and all, but I'm not going to base my expectation on what's going to happen to me when I die on someone else's experience. People have all sorts of weird religious experiences. They really do. And you got to understand that your mind can make up stuff, too. So you can't just trust somebody else's experience. You can't even trust your own experience, but you can trust the word of God. So, um, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to count on that, that continuity because, uh, Jesus stated very clearly that the one who believes in him would not, uh, how did he, how did he put it? Uh, the Pharisees interpreted that they would not taste death, right? I think he said, you will not see death. And so that's two different senses. But the point is, um, there may be an experience of tragedy and difficulty and so forth for some people going through that door. Uh, I had a theology professor, my first theology professor in college, who, after I left, this is before I came to Baylor, I attended a, a small Christian school, not unlike Dallas Baptist University, in Arizona. It's called Grand Canyon College at the time. It's Grand Canyon University now, and it's huge. Like it has like 40,000 students or something, and a lot of them are online students. And all. When I was there, there were 1,200 students, <laughs> right? But I had a great theology professor. His name was Dr. Martin. But apparently after I left, like not too long after I left, some maybe five or six or seven years after I left, went to Baylor, graduated, and so forth, um, Dr. Martin got cancer and it was a, just a tremendously, terribly painful time for him. And, you know, those of you that have lost people who have been in pain, uh, there's almost a relief because then they're not in pain anymore. Right. So I think that all of us should look forward to the return of Jesus. We should have that kind of expectation rather than constantly being anxious uh, about death. Right. Um, it says, then it says, uh, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is really good news. Do you make mistakes? Yes. Do you sin at all? Ever? Right. Do you feel guilty about that? I think. There must be a whole lot going on in the world today with the way Christians feel, because I've noticed in recent Christian songs, there is a significant theme of shame that God is helping them to overcome shame. Right. Do you know the difference between guilt and shame? Yeah. Guilt is knowing that you're the one that did it. Guilt is you did something wrong, so you're comparing yourself to a legal standard, yeah. right? Uh, so guilt really relates to justice, right? Yes. And shame is, is um, constantly being put down. So, saying constantly being put down. So shame is based on what other people think of you yeah. or what you think other people think of you, right? So there, there's this perception maybe a perception that is based on what people have said to you. And so, but I think this, uh, this is exacerbated by the social media generation, right? Is there's all sorts of people that we just, 
we think all those people are so up into our lives. <laughs> this is another thing that happens all the time. You know, uh, young people are on different forms of social media. Us old people are still on Facebook, right? And, uh, but you assume, oh, I posted that. So everybody sees it. No, we really don't. You, you realize that Facebook has these algorithms and they put stuff out there and other stuff they don't put out there. So if all you do is troll the timeline, you don't get everything that everybody puts out there, right? Now you can make it, if you want to go into all the detail with Facebook, you can make it so you get notifications every time somebody posts, right? You can make it so you see their stuff first. But if you just go by, just like most people do, and just scroll, yeah. you don't do anything. I mean, you know this happens, right? You get all this information from some people on their lives and you're like, you know what? I'm just not that interested. <laughs> I mean, no disrespect, but it's like, there's people in this church and you know, I wanna know what's going on in your life. And then there's people that I barely know that, you know, wanted me to be their friend on Facebook. And wow, I just know TMI moments about their life. I'm like too much information. I don't, why are you doing this? Confess to the Lord, not to us, you know? And this is all of this, but I think that this creates this sense of this audience always watching us, right? And what we have, what we have right now, um, have you heard the term cancel culture used a lot lately? Basically, there's just, it seems that there are these hall monitors out there, right? That are carefully looking at everything that was once popular and making sure that we change it so that it matches their expectations. Right. And I don't, you know, read anything except what I hear, but apparently uh, they want to uh, gender neutralize Mr. Potato Head. Oh yeah. I heard about that. I'm, they took the Mr. And this matters. Why? So does that mean you just remove his mustache or I'm, I'm confused. I, I'm so confused. Right. Uh, if you read, if you read stuff from the right, you would assume that they want to just completely cancel Dr. Seuss. Apparently he had some early works that have some uh, uh, offensive stuff in them. I don't know. I haven't read them. He might. Uh, let, let's just be real. Okay. This country has a serious history of racism. And if you look at older movies and, you know, you look at what was going on, it's ridiculous. It's out the door ridiculous. But now we're like way over on the other side of this. And it seems that there is this tendency to now go back through. The latest thing I heard is something about Pepe Le Pew. Oh Do you remember gosh. Pepe Le Pew? That was a skunk. Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> was Pepe Le, Pepe Le Pew was the skunk. And he fell in love with, constantly fell in love with the cat. Well, he wasn't in love. He was trying to, he was, the cat was actually in love with him. And he wanted. Well, which was he? Doesn't he pepper with you the skunk? Yeah, yeah. yeah, he was trying to trick. But he fell in love with the cat, right? Anyway, I don't know, but that apparently is offensive too. And we need to get rid of that. And okay, I don't know. Why am I saying all of this stuff? Because I think that there are, there are those that are out there that have become the gatekeepers, the hall monitors, yeah. the finger waggers. See, this used to be, this used to be the exclusive province of religious people. It was religious people that made you feel bad about, you know, what you have a tattoo. Well, that's of the devil, yeah. right? You got an earring. That's evil. Whatever it is. Okay. And if you made a mistake in the sexual area, Oh, heaven forbid. Right. Um, and so there's this, you know, shame that's coming down on people and people are like, you know, really, really feeling that it can make if you're trying to follow Jesus and if you're trying to be uh, a good person, it can make your 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 walk like this. Right. You're up. Oh, and I'm down and I'm up and I'm down. See, this is based on circumstances and it's based on feelings. But look at the scripture right here. See, you thought that I forgot about this and I just started talking, right? No. Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you listening? God never changes. In my limited time on this planet, our culture has changed so radically, it's mind-boggling. And I will say 
that since 2008, when the left got in the door, right? This doesn't have anything to do with Obama as a president. This has to do with the left. Democrats changed. And now there is this extreme agenda that is being pursued that is transforming the culture. And you look around you and you just, when you're my age, you just say, what? What the what? I used to talk to Vernon. Y'all remember Vernon? Yes. I said, I, Vernon was 96. Like he was raised in a time period in a part of the country. Where you didn't even lock your doors. You know, I mean, and I said, Vernon, I said, this just is really seems extreme to me. I said, I can't even imagine what this seems like to you. The, in Vernon's house, they didn't play cards. They didn't drink. They didn't smoke. They didn't cuss. Right. Now, those are, you know, the, the quote, quote unquote, sins of the flesh. I'm just saying that was the extreme. You look at our culture now where there's such grotesque depravity that is elevated as though it were normal, you know? So if you're in a church context and you're really trying to live by the Bible, you're kind of pulled, right? You can even be made to feel ashamed of your Christian faith if you're in the wrong circle with the wrong people, right? What I want you to see from this verse is, God sustains us. That means he upholds us. The culture changes. Your feelings change. Your feelings may have changed several times since you walked in this room, right? Some people are, you know, they have peaks and troughs, right? Peaks and troughs and peaks and troughs. And what we want to do is we want to even that out and get closer and closer and closer to the Lord rather than Close to the Lord, far away from the Lord. Close to the Lord, far away from the Lord. I feel good, I feel bad. I feel good, I feel bad. That's why you can't rely on your feelings. That's why Jeremiah, the prophet, uh, in uh, chapter 17, verse 9, says, the heart is desperately sick, who can know it? Well, that's the heart that's full of self, full of the flesh, full of the carnal, full of just me, right? And so people are like, oh, I'm just going to follow my heart. The devil will deceive your heart. You need to stop doing that. You set your heart on Christ and follow Jesus because he will sustain you. He will uphold you. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. Jesus is what? Same. The same. He doesn't change. The culture changes. The culture has changed radically, like I said, since 2008, right? 12, 13 years. And Things are just so, I've been talking about technology. I'm talking about morals. I'm talking about what people consider acceptable behavior in public, right? Now, whatever your position is on various issues, I read this today. Uh, this uh, was uh, in a newsletter that I read from Franklin Graham. A judge just recently okayed a group of three homosexual men in a gay partnership, that's polyamory, three men in a partnership adopting two babies. Do you see where this is headed? You understand that this isn't trying to hate people that have certain feelings. This is about radically transforming what family is, right? So what happens when you, you know, you have a kid that is, is coming up. Children are, they're just, they have all sorts of interesting ideas about themselves and about the world. And you got parents that are going to jump in and, you know, get them hormone blocking drugs. Give the kid a break, man. You've got kindergartners, first, second, third graders that are being inculcated and indoctrinated in school regarding sexual matters. Are you out of your ever living mind? These are sick adults who are not letting kids be kids. Okay. So, you know, I'm trying to get you to understand the culture has changed dramatically in a very short period of time, but Jesus doesn't change. 
That's good news. And the better news, it says he will sustain you to the end guiltless. That doesn't mean that you didn't do anything wrong. No, guiltless because he died for your sins on the cross. He comes down. Jesus is the judge. He comes down from behind the judgment bar and stands behind you, beside you, excuse me, and becomes your defense. Even moreover, he takes the punishment for your crime. He who knew no sin became our sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's a big deal. That's why Paul is so enthusiastic about Jesus. That's why his focus is Jesus. We need to stop worrying about culture and all of these you know, issues. We need to focus on Jesus and what Jesus said and seek to follow Jesus and live for Jesus because he's the embodiment of God's will. He's the embodiment of the law. He's not rules, rules, rules. Do what I say. No, he's living it out for us. And we let his spirit come in us and he's living it in, in us, living it through us, right? And he says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. What does it mean to be in the, in the fellowship of his son? What does fellowship mean? That's a churchy word. Fellowship mean? Fellowship is basically like sharing. Sharing. That's exactly what it is. This is what's difficult about people who are only uh, willing or able to tune in online. The fellowship opportunities are limited. Now, when we were doing Zoom, it's a little bit like fellowship. It's weird, honestly, with all these boxes, you know, and everybody, you know, is uh, talking and "Ah," and you're like, turn that out. It's like, oh, my word. I hate Zoom. Can I just say that? I just I'm, I'm glad we we had it. And we could do it for a while, especially for Jacob's sake. Um, I knew he was going to be out of town. He's in Vegas. I told him not to waste money. Is he, is he online? No, no, because I don't have. I mean, if he is, I don't know. I, the way I'm doing this, I can't tell who's tuned in on, on uh, YouTube and who's not. But the point is, we need participation. We need involvement with one another. And so this virus is kept people from going to church in some parts of the country it's you know not even permitted so i won't get into my take on that because we're overcoming it but we need to pray among other things that uh, churches will be able to come back not just so they can be an institution for people to go and attend but so that they can be involved with other people there's another word sharing involvement participation partnership, right? All of those are ways of understanding koinonia, right? We get involved with one another. We share with one another. We're in partnership. So when we say that we're called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, um, it means that we're called to minister along with him, right? Um, we're called to participate in his ministry. What, what does Jesus do? Well, obviously, he forgives people. That's the gospel, right? We're called to share the gospel. We're called to receive his forgiveness and share that forgiveness with other people. But you know what that means? That means that we've got to be willing to tell people the truth, or they may not believe that they need to be forgiven because they don't believe they did anything wrong. See, if you hang out with certain groups of people, they have a certain set of ethics or morals. They may be committing sin every single day and not feel anything about it. That's why you can't rely on your feelings. But God has standards. God is the one that sets morals. And so this is why Christianity is not just about trying to make everybody feel good. It's about trying to help people to be good, right? To be better people. And that is going to happen when we become more like Jesus. So um, we're called into the fellowship of that. What else? Well, Jesus is a healer. You're we're praying for healing earlier tonight. We're praying for uh, San Juan to be healed. Amen? Amen? Amen. Right? Praying for these other people that are struggling with the virus. I, you know, 
I don't want to just not wear a face mask, which I was really thankful. I did not wear a face mask all day today. I didn't put my face mask on once today. It was awesome. I went to the gym at seven o'clock this morning and went in and worked out without a face mask. There was no temperature check at the front of the gym. It was just so nice. I walked into Kroger and there was nobody at the door, even though they still had signs. I was like, you know what? Y'all are a hundred feet from me. The, the masks edict is over. I'm going, I didn't go in Walmart because they always got those people at the door, right? Yeah. Hey, hey, you need to wear a mask. You need to wear, there's people in the parking lot. I can't. So I, I usually have a gator that are, uh-huh. this is the easiest way for me to do it. Cause I can just pull it up, let it down, pull it up, let it down. Cause masks are just, uh. so I have a gator I'm walking across the parking lot and there's this older gentleman and he's like, it looked like he was like loading up one of those uh, motorized scooters. You know, he had like a truck or whatever. And he goes, hey, did you forget your mask? <laughs> I just looked at him. <laughs> and I just went walking, you know, walking in, pulled my mask on, went in, did my shopping. This is this Walmart over here. And then came out. And as I came out, I pulled my mask off. He said, the reason I asked you when you went in, he said, a lot of people forget their masks. <laughs> masks go away on the masks. Oh, my word. But honestly, I'm not, you know, I wrote a whole article on this. Go to Dioral.com and you can read my little article that I wrote, my little editorial, whatever. I'm not opposed to masks. If you're all tight together with a group of people, um, they can help. If everybody wears them, hey, if you're in a room and half the people are wearing them and half the people aren't, you might as well just take it off. It is doing you no good. If I'm wearing a mask and you're not and you sneeze on me, it's worse that I'm wearing a mask. That's just the truth. Further, there was a study that was just done. I think it was in England. I posted this a ways back that indicated that the virus can live on certain types of fabric for up to three days. And your mask is made of fabric. Oh, that's awesome. Let's just be wise. Can we just be wise? Listen, I'm all about social distancing. I like people, right? They're great. Right? And even when I give hugs, I give side hugs, right? We're both breathing that way. But I'm all about it. If you're in my credit class, Alex is in my credit class. All right. By the way, where where were you last last night, buddy? You were at a party, and you could have been a karate, and you you could have learned you could have learned how to sweep. In any event, if you're around people you don't know, keeping them outside that bubble of at least four feet is just wise, right? Letting people inside that bubble puts you in a precarious situation. If this is not a trustworthy person, I'm all about it. I don't have a bit of a problem. I think you can be very sociable with people, caring, concerned, whatever with people and maintain distancing. I think it's totally cool, right? I don't like being crammed into elevators. I don't like being you know, I, I go to Gloria's all the time and I always sit at the bar because I get served like that. I don't have to wait. Sit down at a table. Wait. Okay, here comes the waiter. Wait. Okay, here comes the bus boy with the ship. Okay, wait. I sit at the bar. It's like, you know, they know me. Boom. You know, I get my Topo Chico. That's what I get. All right, I'm all about that now. I'm about the Topo Chico life, right? So it's sparkling water and I get like a couple of limes and it's got minerals in it. So it's good for you, whatever. And then my food comes out and you know what? But I don't like it when I've got like somebody over here and somebody over here. And I mean, it's great. You can talk to people and so forth, but especially with the Corona deal. No, I'm good. So if I were to go to Glorious today, Now, I went in Glorious today and the whole bar was open. Like this is the first time that they haven't had seats that you couldn't sit in. They were all open. I was the only one sitting there. Didn't wear my mask there either. (laughs) (laughs) 
So I'm just saying, you can be careful. You don't have to be crazy, right? Um, all right, so we're called to that healing ministry. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to be like, you know, a healer that's going to go out and, you know, be the key person that that healing comes through. But you can always pray for people. Now, let me, can I say this? I tell people, I'm going to believe for you. So there are people that want you to pray for them, but really what they want is they just want you to commiserate with them. They want you to come to their pity party. I don't go to pity parties, right? I'm not going to sit next to you. Have you ever seen that? Uh, there's one of these memes that, that shows somebody who built a toilet and it's got like two toilets that are sitting right next to each other. <laughs> who does that? <laughs> I, I did see that somewhere. Yeah. I like no. So if some people like to sit on the pity pot and they want you to come sit on the pity pot next to them. I'm not sitting on the pity pot next to anybody. I will believe for you. And by the way, I think that that's what you need to do. Say that you're going to pray for somebody. And so you don't forget, you know what I always do? I pray right there. If I, if you say pray for me about this and I text you back and say, I will, chances are I already have. And then I'm going to believe for you. And as the Lord reminds me, I'll pray again, but I'm not going to keep wringing my hands and, oh my goodness, what kind of, that's not faith. That's not faith. We need to believe for people, right? We need to stand in the gap for people. When people are hurting, especially when they're sick, man, when I'm sick, all I do is whine and cry. I don't have a whole lot of faith. I'm a bad sick person. I really, really am. So if somebody says they're going to pray for me, that's a good deal. Do, by all means, pray for me, right? This is the kind of ministry that we need to enter into, right? Um, now, I'm not saying that we don't need to commiserate, to feel with other people, to enter into their pain. Jesus does do that. I'm simply saying that what they need is not someone to say, oh, man, I'm sorry. I know how you feel. No, you don't. You don't know how I feel. <sighs> My life is so bad. It's just bad. I know it is, isn't it? Man, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to enter in for you. And then I'm going to move on. Right? And if you remind me to pray for you again, and that's why I love it when you guys ask for prayer requests in here, and then you come back and you give, you know, feedback. If I've forgotten to ask, you know, hey, how's that situation going? What's what's happening with that particular person that we prayed for and so forth? And then when you give God glory and you give him thanks for the things that he's done, that's how you ensure that he's going to keep working. I think a lot of times we think God doesn't work in situations because we don't recognize him working. We won't give him credit for what he has done. And then we wonder why he's not working in our lives. You never give him credit for what he does when he is. So how would you know? Right? All right. All right. Let's jump down here to the controversy. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and there be no divisions among you, but you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. This does not mean that everybody has to be alike that we all have to feel the same way about everything, right? But the Apostle Paul is speaking about what we might call theology or what we might call doctrine. Doctrine means the Christian teaching. Now, there are plenty of churches out today that have gone far away from biblical teaching on a lot of different issues. They're more interested in being like the culture than they are in teaching about Christ. I'm not going to get into issues, but a simple cursory reading of your Bible will show you that there are plenty of churches out there that have decided it's more important for them to make people feel good about them and keep people coming who are tapped into watching CNN and MSNBC and whatnot, or for that matter, Fox or Newsmax, right? If you think that, you know, the right has a corner on the truth, 
but the left is all wrong. You need to you need to read some of the craziness that's going on with these folks that are into QAnon. There's just some wacky nutty stuff out there, right? And you've got to say, no, we need to, I, I've said it for a long time. If you follow Jesus, there's going to be people on the right and people on the left that are not going to like you. There are going to be people on the right and on the left that are going to disagree with you. It's not about being a conservative or being a liberal. It's about following Jesus. And whether you're on the right or on the left is dependent on where the culture is anyway. Right? So the culture has actually moved further left, which has made uh, what people have been believing that were once considered liberal positions no longer liberal positions. They're more centrist position. And as the culture moves further left, those centrist positions become right wing positions. Right. So I see what I see happening now among Christians is disagreements and disputes that are based on their affinities or their identities in the political world and in the cultural world. So rather than following the scripture and having disagreements that are legitimate, because you can agree to disagree about, let's say, um, end times, right? There are different ways to interpret Revelation, the book of Revelation. There are different ways to understand uh, when Christ returns, what's that going to look like, right? I'm not going to get into all these details right now. But whenever I've taught the Revelation, I teach uh, the four major what are called millennial views. Right. These are positions uh, on the millennium, the thousand year reign of Christ that determine how people interpret the rest of eschatology, end times and so forth. I always teach all four of them and say, this is what Christians have taught and believed throughout the years. And then there are two that I have usually uh, gone back and forth between really since I was a believer and understood that there were different positions. So we can agree to disagree. Do you understand? We can be agreeable with one another, but there are certain things that you can't disagree with and still be a Christian. Jesus Christ is the son of God, period. He's one with the father. I may not understand that. I may not get that, how does that work out? What does that look like? I teach the kids in karate. You know, we start at the beginning of the class. I have them make a triangle like this. Then I have them put it on the floor. And I put their forehead in the triangle. You're, you're bowing. And we say, Yesu Washunari, which in Japanese means Jesus is Lord. Well, the triangle is a poor representation of this, but it's a way to help kids understand. This is one God, but three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. It's an imperfect way to understand it, but it's a way to understand it, right? We don't have the right to reinvent God. Well, I just feel, I, I don't care. When it concerns theology, how you feel is absolutely irrelevant. God is God. You need to line up how you feel with who God is. And how do we know that? We look at the scripture, the scripture written over a period of 1400, 1500 years, right? 66 different books, probably 38, 39 different authors, um, folks from, you know, different socioeconomic classes and uh, different callings and so forth, but all scripture testifying to Jesus testifying to Messiah and the coming of the Savior, right? Um, we can be in agreement with one another by putting the disputable issues, the debatable issues on the periphery and focusing on the issues that matter. I'm telling you guys, I see a lot of disagreement today in churches that are more willing to identify with the culture than with scripture. But I'm also seeing uh, more conservative Christians, Christians that do believe the scripture, that are being hypercritical of 
preachers and teachers who will not completely agree with them on certain issues. Um, the only way that I get into any of this is, is via YouTube. I watch YouTube more than I watch regular TV. It's basically, it's on my, it's on my TV screen, right? Don't have to pay anything for it. Actually, I pay for YouTube premium, so I don't have to get a bunch of commercials. Um, but if you watch the right stuff, then you get pretty much decent recommendations, right? You watch the wrong stuff, then you get bad recommendations. And sometimes you get weird recommendations anyway. Like it'll say trending. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Dudes wearing makeup is trending. Okay. <laughs> no, seriously. It's like, a, it's like a group of guys and they're, they're all putting makeup on whatever and it has millions of views i okay i'm i'm lost i you lost me on that trending trending that's awesome it's trending yeah it's dudes wearing makeup is trending right um but on the whole you know i get some uh, i get some decent recommendations and there are these christian teachers i don't really recognize i don't know where they went to school or whether they didn't go to school what their credentials are, but they got a bunch of people watching them. And there's some that are, uh, they're conservative, they're Bible believing, but they're just hyper critical. They are rejecting their brothers and sisters in Christ just because their brothers and sisters in Christ are not in lockstep with them theologically. Okay. Um, so, uh, this has been maybe about two years ago now, I guess. Um, John MacArthur. You guys, you guys know who John MacArthur is? No. Uh, John MacArthur is a pastor of a church in California called Grace something. And he has written commentaries and he's written books and he's <clears throat> he's a Calvinist. Do you know what a Calvinist is? Okay. Um, I won't go into detail, but they're very fundamental in their beliefs. And their strongest belief is in predestination, that God has chosen those that are going to be saved. And it doesn't matter what you think or what you choose. All that matters is what God has chosen, the elect. That's all that matters. So I've disagreed with John, uh, John MacArthur on various issues throughout the years, but I can be in fundamental agreement with him because he believes that Jesus Christ is God's son. Even though I think that... Uh, I'm not a Calvinist, let's just put it that way. I was very strongly in favor of John MacArthur about six months ago because California shut all the churches down and John MacArthur just kept on meeting. They said, we're gonna meet. And they just kept on meeting. Governor Newsom was like, no, you cannot. And they just kept on meeting. I can, I appreciate that kind of courage. You know, and he, and he told other churches, he said, stop. He said, just me, just me. So, you know, you had other pastors and other, he's in LA County. He's been there forever. Uh, he's got the favor of the police and, yeah. but you know, the, uh, I don't know what the County health board or whoever it is. I mean, they want to, they want to find them. They want to do all that. Well, see John MacArthur's church is big. It's got a lot of money. They've got a lot of clout. They've got, so he can pull that off. Smaller churches are going to have more difficulty in pulling that off. But I still, I appreciated his leadership there. I didn't appreciate something that he did about two years ago. Have you all heard of Beth Moore? So she's a conservative uh, Bible teacher. And uh, she has a, a, obviously a, a large following of ladies. She's written a lot of Bible studies. She's written a lot of books and so forth. And John MacArthur was at a conference and he grossly disrespected Beth Moore. Somebody asked him, well, what do you think of Beth Moore? He said, I think she should stay home. Whoa. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so I guess ladies, y'all need to keep your shoes off, stay home, take care of the kids, cook, clean, do all that, do nothing else. And so he's got some biblical reasons for that statement. It was, it was, it was crass the way he, he did it. He's got some, and I can disagree with his biblical reasons and see, he could have those biblical reasons 
and we can look at the texts and I can lay down the rationale for understanding that Beth Moore can have a ministry and it can be a productive ministry. She doesn't have to stay at home just because she's a female, right? Um, we can we can dispute over things like that. And the way that someone like him should come across is to say, I disagree with this, this, and this about how she's going about her ministry, and this is why, not she should just stay home. Well, the reason I was reminded of Beth Moore is because I just read a statement that she made today or yesterday that she is, uh, she is severing affiliation with the Southern Baptist Convention and with uh, Lifeway Christian Resources. Well, she's been teaching as a Southern Baptist for 30 years. Uh, Lifeway has published her stuff for 20 years. So it's a big statement. When uh, uh, this has been, again, about, a, ironically, at about the same time John MacArthur made this statement, there were a number of high-profile, he's not a Southern Baptist, he's a Calvinist. Um, well, there are Southern Baptists that are Calvinists. I don't want to get into that. Southern Baptist is a denomination, and it's actually pretty evenly divided between Calvinists and non-Calvinists. But nonetheless, uh, John MacArthur is a, it's a Bible church. Grace Bible, maybe that's the name of his church. It's a Bible church, not affiliated with Southern Baptist. Um, but there were a number of high profile individuals in Southern Baptist churches and in leadership who were accused of sexual misconduct. And so Beth Moore became uh, a proponent for Southern Baptists to be more honest about this and forthcoming about this. And so while Southern Baptists don't have the problem that the Catholic Church has, it's still a problem. And, you know, without going too far down this path, I have watched this for years. It seems that men in ministry have two primary problems, three really, three. Okay. They struggle with power. I want to call all the shots and I don't want to listen to anybody else. They struggle with money, right? And being honest about money. And they struggle with sexual issues. It is just astounding. And I could give you person after person after person after person that has dealt with sexual issues in ministry. Married men involved with uh, Ted Haggard, who is the president of the National Association of Evangelicals in 2006, was accused by a homosexual prostitute of being involved with him and of taking meth. This is a very, very high level evangelical. And on the whole, if you'd listen to the guy, you'd say, wow, good guy, right? Has a wife, has two kids. You let this stuff get away. All that to say, you know, Beth Moore was a prominent proponent of, uh, you know, honesty, you know, people coming out about that. And she's not convinced that Southern Baptists have uh, been willing to go as far as they need to go. She doesn't want her name associated with that anymore. It's sad um, because this same one of these same teachers that gets recommended to me on YouTube uh, is a guy that is saying that there's now a problem with Max Lucado. Max Lucado? Do you know who Max Lucado is? Yes. Oh, Apparently he's not, he's not strongly enough against folks that are in the LGBT community. I don't know. Maybe people wouldn't think I'm strongly enough against. I love people. I've said for years, if a gay couple wanted to come to this church, they could come to this church. I'm not going to tell them that what they're doing is right, but I'm not going to throw them out of the church. 
Now, I don't think any of you were here. Miss Mary was kind of here at about the time. But we had a young man that was leading our youth group for a while who had come to Christ uh, under Craig's ministry and had come out of homosexuality uh, in high school and had really tried to follow Jesus. And this is a good guy. This is not a bad person. This is not a horrible person. This is not somebody that did anything wrong other than on Facebook. One day he just decided to say, hey, I'm going back to that life. I'm not going to, you know, leave Christ behind, but I'm going to go. I'm going to go back to that life. Just deeply saddening. I had to say, you can't be in leadership in our church. But I didn't say you can't come to our church. And for a while, he stuck it out, you know, sat in the, the seats and, you know, whatever. But maybe there are those that would think, I oh, you know you should have kicked him out. No. All I need to do is make the, that position known. I don't think that someone who is giving in to homosexual desires is worse than someone who is sleeping with their girlfriend. Right. Or someone that is, you know, abusive to their animals. Right. I mean, sin is sin is sin in the end. So I don't know. I don't know if this guy would, you know, would be unhappy. Um, there is a uh, the, the present president of the Southern Baptist Convention is a fellow named J.D. Greer. And there is a, uh, a man that uh, does a lot of apologetics. That means uh, a lot of defense of the Christian faith. And uh, he's written a book on the Trinity. In any event, he was in an, at an event with J.D. Greer where J.D. Greer made a statement about gender equality. And uh, this man really saw that as meaning that J.D. Greer was falling in line with these cultural mar Marxists. Nothing could be further from the truth. J.D. Greer was simply agreeing with some of the people that were on the panel there that there are issues that need to be addressed still to this day between men and women in equality, right? But this fellow, who interestingly enough, I believe I knew back when I was in high school, um, was very, very uh, negative toward J.D. Greer, who was then in turn very, very negative back. This is not what we need to be doing. We are literally in a cultural war right now, and Christians can't even get along. So we're going to talk more about that next week. We've just kind of touched the surface this week. Uh, I would encourage you to go ahead and read back through 1 Corinthians chapter 1, focus in on verses 10 through 17, and we'll talk about the issues that they were having there in the Corinthian church. Okay? God bless you guys, and God bless you guys.